0: If you'll bow your head and pray with me. Father, Daddy God, um, we just come to you um, asking for your presence in this place, asking for your word to be spoken, thanking you that um, you see us and you still love us. Father, regardless of what um, I prepared to say, I pray that... um, I just follow your will, and I follow your spirit, and the words that proceed out of my mouth come from you. I also ask that you help people to hear what I don't say, but what they need to hear. And I am forever grateful for this church and these people, but mostly I'm forever grateful for you. In the precious name of Jesus, whom we love, amen. Um, Robert's been doing a series called Someday. Um, so when he asked me if, uh, if I would talk this morning, I said, well, is there a topic or, you know, what, is it a standalone, what would you like? And he said, you know, just, just do a standalone. Um, whatever you feel like the Spirit wants you to say, which for me is a little terrifying. Because if it gives you a horrible topic, you can just blame him. Um, and so the thought came to me not long ago I told somebody, sometimes when I talk, I kind of name the talk in my head, so I don't lose my point. And uh, I've always said that someday I was going to do a talk, and the title of the talk was going to be Satan is a pervert. Um, so that's what I'm doing this morning. This is someday. Um, now, before you take your middle school children and run for the back, um, I don't mean pervert like sexual deviant. Um, I mean pervert is in someone who perverts. And I knew what I thought I meant when I said pervert, so I I looked it up, you know, the Webster Dictionary is the authority. Um, And sure enough, I was right. To pervert means to change something good so that it's no longer what it was or wasn't intended to be. See, Satan's not a creator. He can't create anything. He can only pervert. He can only twist stuff. He can only divert me. He's the master manipulator. And he's a liar. Look at this verse out of 2 Corinthians 2.11. Um, it says this, After all, we don't want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We're not oblivious to his sly ways. I think one of the first times that I ever really recognized um, how manipulative he is was when I read the book by C.S. Lewis called Tape Letters. And if you've never read that, it's a great little read. And it would talk about things he would, and it's a fictitious book where you have a senior demon talking to a junior demon about how to mess with us. It's very encouraging. Um, and so many times I would read that book and I would kind of laugh in that Ha-ha, horrible way where I realized, He did that to me. And so this is kind of my thought about outing him. I I don't want um, I don't want us to be ignorant. I don't want to give him too much credit, but I also don't want to give him kind of his due. Look what this scripture says in Ephesians 6. It says, For our struggle is not against blood flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sometimes I forget who my enemy is. If it has blood and flesh, it's not my enemy, and it's not your enemy. It's not your ex. It's not that parent who did not love you well or does not love you well. It's not that dealer that sold drugs to your child and now your child struggles. It's not a Democrat or Republican. It's not an atheist. It's not a Muslim. It's not a race of people. It's not a country. It's evil itself. That's who my enemy is. That's who your enemy is. And if we forget that, we're in trouble. And that's what he does to me. He diverts me. He does kind of that um, smoke and mirrors thing. Look at this verse out of John eight forty four. Says your. He's talking to a group of people in the Bible and he says, your father's the devil and you do exactly what he wants. He's always been a murderer and a liar. There's nothing truthful about him. He speaks on his own and everything he says is a lie. Not only is he a liar himself, but he is also the father of all lies. He does smoke and mirrors. You know, smoke and mirrors is an expression we have that comes from magicians in the last century. The smoke was a diversion. Look over here. And the mirrors made you see what wasn't really there. And that's what Satan does to me. He does smoke in mirrors. He also loves to do this to me. Maybe he doesn't do it to you. He loves the word for me, or, O-R. And he makes me pick, or he tempts me to pick. And it doesn't matter which way I picked. It's a gotcha. So he looks at me and he says, Are you good? Are you bad? And my answer is, Yes. Yes. It's not an or, it's an and. Because see, if I I go with that or and I feign left, and I go, good. You know what he does? He takes that word good at, and he slides in perfect. And at that point, gotcha. Because I'm not, and you're not. You weren't created to be perfect. You were created to be Good. And so all your joy of the good gets stolen because it's, that's the mirror. See, perfect doesn't exist. So you're chasing an illusion, and it is exhausting to try to be perfect. You know, I had a friend that had a dog, and, you know, Peter would kill him. Um, he was really cruel to this dog, and he would throw a ball, and the dog would chase it. And get it and bring it back. And he would throw the ball. And then he would like fake throw the ball. And that dog would hunt and hunt and hunt for the ball. Satan does that to me. A hunt and a hunt and a hunt for that perfection. And it doesn't exist. And then he throws scripture at me. He throws that Matthew 5 verse. Be perfect. That word doesn't mean sinless. It means mature. It means growing. Becoming more and more like God in a process. It doesn't mean sinless. Satan's really good at quoting scripture. He quoted scripture to Jesus. Don't you think it's a little audacious to quote scripture to the writer? (laughs) And if he did it to him, he's going to do it to me. Don't let him take out good and slide in perfect. Because here's what happens. Good is a really messy house with pizza and friends. Perfect is the five-course meal I'm planning in my head when my house is clean that never occurs. Good It's 10 minutes of me moving my body in some fashion, even if it's unattractive. (laughs) Perfect is that 10-mile run. I could not, if if there were a lion after me, all I could hope is that I was faster than you. It's just not going to happen. Good is coaching your child's little league team, and you know they're not going to win a game. They're awful. (laughs) Perfect is winning that championship. When you bark and bark, you see what I'm saying? It's not about perfect, it's about good. So then what if I pick bad? Because that's what I really know. Well, then he's really got me. Because what he convinces me then is when I pick bad that it's kind of game over. Let me tell you what's true. In the Garden of Eden, God didn't say game over. He still doesn't say game over. Here's what I think he does. I have a wonderful invention that I borrow that's my husband's occasionally called a GPS. It's a great tool for somebody like me with no sense of direction. I can come out of the mall and go the wrong way, and I just went in And when I'm going down the road, and I've programmed in where I want to go, sometimes, I know you find this hard to believe, but I'm just talking, and I'm paying no attention to the GPS, and I pass the exit. Sometimes when it tells me to take that exit, I just don't want to, and I don't. You know what it says either way? What does it say? Recalculating. And that's what I think God does. When I fail, when He tells me to do something and I don't do it, He doesn't scream at me. It's just the sweetest little voice. Recalculating. And I think that's what Jesus does. Recalculating. He's going to get you where you need to be. And if you want to go down Fortification or Capitol Street to get there, that is your business. That is not the way He was sending you originally. And if you want to go that way, the best thing is, I truly believe He's going to use something you saw along the way. He redeems everything. I learned something. I'm I'm a blessed woman in more ways than I can ever even tell. And one of the ways that he has blessed me is he has taught me lots of lessons. Sometimes the easy way, most of the time the hard way. And he taught them to me young. Let me tell you what he taught me. Um, And it's a lesson that started early and took a little while to learn. When I was a little girl, I would get homesick. I mean like, I want my mama homesick. I mean, it would happen if I went and spent the night with somebody, so. I'm 10, I'm in the fourth grade, and I'm going to go to camp. And I go to camp, and by Tuesday, I'm in a state, I am wanting my mama. I want her badly, and it is not cool. So I did what all homesick children do that they don't know that we all do. I looked at my counselor and said, my stomach hurts. And it did. I hurt it in my gut. That's what you do when you're homesick. It's physical. And my mama came and got me on Tuesday. And it was so embarrassing. And then, I don't know if it was a twist of fate or Satan, I have a theory. About a month later, I had an appendect I had an appendix attack. I mean, it almost burst. They had to rush me to the emergency room. I had to have emergency surgery. It was a big deal. So you know what I went back and told all my friends? That week at camp, the doctor had determined that was probably my first appendix attack. (laughs) And they bought it. And it made me feel so ashamed because it was a lie, and they believed that lie, and I was so ashamed because I was homesick and other people didn't get homesick, and I lived with that shame for three more years, and then I was in the color guard, and I was in junior high, and I had to go to band camp, and I begged Jesus, please don't let me get homesick, please don't let me get homesick, And I went to camp, and guess what? I got homesick, and I wanted my mama. And I don't know whether it was an uncharacteristically brave move for me, it must have been Jesus, because I'm sitting in a room with lots of junior high girls who are not the nicest people on the planet, and I said out loud, my mom's sick. And one of my friends looked at me and she goes, for real? And I looked back and I said, for real, I want my mama. And then I heard two words that changed my life. You know what I heard? What did I hear? Heard a voice say, me too. And I would love to tell you that I wasn't homesick the rest of the week, but I was. But I was no longer alone in the dark. We joined forces. And we made it to the end of the week. So what I learned was God doesn't always remove the struggle, but He always sends somebody to struggle with you. And that's how you make it out. Now, and I've tried to do that my whole life, struggle out loud. And some people are very uncomfortable with that. And perhaps I take it to an uncomfortable level, because let's fast forward. I have two children, and they are awesome, but they are not good babies. Okay So Kelly was born this month, she's about two months old, and we were at Gulf Shore Baptist Assembly before it got blown away. And I was leading a youth group, and Don and Kelly went with me. I laughingly say it's because Don did not want to be alone with her. She was horrid. OK. Horrible baby. She cried all. The time. All the time. You could jiggle her, put a pillow over her. It didn't matter what you did, she cried all the time. Are you with me? Neither of us had slept in forever. So we go down there. Sure enough, she cries all night long. All night long. So the next morning, I'm at breakfast. She's finally fallen asleep and Don's with her, and I'm at breakfast, and I'm sitting at a table with other couples, none of whom have children, none. And I have a cup of coffee in this hand, and probably a cup of coffee in this hand. And I'm just sitting there like this. And then one of them made the unwitting statement, so is having a baby just awesome? And I looked at her and I said, do you know what I would really like to do right now? (laughs) And in all innocence, she's not picking up on body language. She goes, no, (laughs) and we're sitting looking at the ocean and there's a pier. And I said, you see that pier? (laughs) I'd like to take my baby (laughs) to the end of that pier and sling her as far as she'll go and then take a nap I knew at that moment I'd perhaps stepped over a line because they all like drew back do you understand like but that was the truth I just wanted a nap now in my self defense she's 27 and I have not killed her so I did not do it but you could say they're just judging you, thinking oh, that's the truth, sorry. Well, let's fast forward two years. Kelly, by this time, is three, still alive. And we go to see one of the couples. We're going somewhere and we go by where they live in North Mississippi and we spent the night. And she and I are cooking in the kitchen and she said, um, I owe you an apology. Really? Bring it on. And she said, we're foster parents. And she said, not long ago, we had a foster baby. And she said he was a drug baby. And she said he cried all the time. And I thought I was going to lose my mind. And she said one night, he was just crying and crying and crying. And I thought, I just want to pick you up and just shake you. And she said, and I felt like what kind of person wants to shake a baby? (laughs) And then I remembered that you wanted to sling your baby off a pier. I said, yeah, I did. And she said, and suddenly, I didn't feel all bad. It's not always going to work out. But that's unfortunately, that's the character. I have light and I have dark. You have light and you have dark. Both. And you can say, well, you know, you didn't really do that. You don't know about my dark. I feel like it'd be Darth Vader. This is a story somebody told me one time. And it may be because it's my nightmare that I've always remembered. It's about 20 years ago, and it was a youth evangelist telling a story. Do I need to do something? Is that driving y'all crazy? Here's what he told me. He told a group of youth workers this story. He said that he was doing a conference in Texas. And he said, now understand, I'm a youth evangelist. And he said, here's what happened. He said, I was really tired that day. And so it was between sessions. So I went to the mall just to kind of decompress. And he said, I was just window shopping, wasting time. And I walked in a clothing store. And he said, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me. Talk to that girl. And he said, I looked over there and I thought, I'm tired. And he said, so I want you to understand, it wasn't that I was scared. It wasn't that she looked threatening. I was just tired. And he said, and I didn't, and he said, of all the people in the store to come up to him and say, can I help you? He said, who do you think it was? It was her. She walked up and said, can I help you? And he said, again, he felt the Holy Spirit say, talk to her. He said, and I didn't. And he said, she walked off. And he said, as he walked out, one more time she came up to him and said, sir, are you sure I can't do anything for you? And he said, he felt the Holy Spirit say, say something." And he said, and I just didn't want to get into it. And I didn't. And he said, I walked out of the store and I told Jesus, if I still feel this way in the morning when I'm fresh, I will come back. And he said he got in his car and he drove across. It was Houston, so it took a while. He was going to go by his hotel room before he went back to the conference. And he said he got caught in traffic. And it took him a couple of hours. And when he walked in the hotel room, he said he flipped, he did what he always did. He flipped the light on and he flipped on the TV. And he said he went in the bathroom area to brush his teeth. And he said, and in that moment, he heard the news person say, there's been an explosion at the mall. And he said he just froze. And then he heard him say, and there's one fatality. And he looked, and he said, I didn't even have to turn around. But I knew. And he said, and I turned around, and I looked. And I was staring into the face that I had told the Holy Spirit no to three times. He said, and I just fell, and I just started weeping uncontrollably and telling Jesus, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then he did the bravest thing I've ever heard. He got up. And he told Jesus, I'm so sorry, and I pray that you sent somebody behind me that was obedient, and I'm going to be obedient the next time. He didn't let Satan tell him, game over, because that's what Satan wants. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you destroyed your family. I don't care if you've stolen. I don't care what you've done. It's not game over. You get back up and you say, I'm so sorry. And he looks at you and he says, recalculating. you have faith or do you have doubt? The answer to both is yes. I'm going to show you a clip. It's a very spiritual clip. It's Indiana Jones. It's what I think is a picture for me of faith.
1: Andy, and you must hurry.
0: The reason I think I like that clip so much is because he's terrified. He doesn't see any way. See, I don't think the enemy of faith is doubt. I think the enemy of faith is certain. It doesn't take faith if you're certain, it takes faith when you doubt. Faith's a gift of God. Did you see why he stepped? He didn't step because he thought he was going to make it. He stepped because he loved his daddy. That's why I do stuff. Not because I'm certain it's going to work out well. Go read that faith chapter in Hebrews 11. It doesn't work out well for all those people. the end, they're sawed in two. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not about the effectiveness. It's about the love. Now, I'm a little bit like... I have a a neighbor that when I was a little girl, I used to substitute at school. didn't matter what subject you put him in, he taught history. He said he didn't know any algebra. It doesn't matter what topic you give me, I'm going to end up at the same place. Love. Jesus is so crystal clear. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind and the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. Not be right, not even be righteous, not that those are bad things, but we're not going to win the world by being right. And here's the kicker, I've always asked myself strange questions and one of the questions I think I ask myself in my life several times is, what if you had one wish? What if you have just one and you can't wish for like four other wishes? You know, what would you wish for? And I have, I, have, I have mulled that over and wasted many a minute. And I finally know the answer. I know what I would wish if Jesus gave me one wish. I would wish that for just one second you could see yourself The way that he sees you. That's what I wish. He loves you. And he knows all the good and all the bad. He knows what you've done, what you're doing, and what you will do. And he still adores you. He died for you. And I truly believe to the core of my being that the key is believing that statement. You have to believe that He loves you. You have to believe that you're worthy just because He created you to be worthy. Not because you've earned it. You just are. Not because of your character, but because of His. is. And your sinfulness is not greater than his sacrifice. It just isn't. And I truly believe in the core of my being that what kept him on the cross weren't those nails. It was his love for you, not the world, you. I don't know how he did this, but I truly believe that every time he pushed up and took a breath and came back down, he saw your face. Yours. And if you had been the only one, he'd have stayed. I can't love other people till I believe I'm loved. See, when I really believe that I'm loved, the joy and the gratitude and the hope that fills me with lets me look at you and say, and it's true, can't give what I don't have and neither can you so my challenge to you today is this if you don't truly believe in the core of your being that Jesus loves you ask him to show you and he will one more clip and then Gary's going to take over
1: years since I was first ambushed by Jesus in a little chapel in the Allegheny Mountains of western Pennsylvania and in literally the thousands of hours of prayer, meditation silence and solitude over those years I am now utterly convinced that on judgment day the Lord Jesus is going to ask each of us one question and only one question did you believe that I loved you? that I desired you, that I waited for you day after day, that I long to hear the sound of your voice. The real believers there will answer yes, Jesus. I believe in your love and I tried to shape my life as a response to it. But many of us who are so faithful in our ministry, in our practice, in our church going are gonna to have to reply <clears throat> well, frankly, no, sir. I mean, I never really believed it. I mean, I heard a, wonderful, a lot of wonderful sermons and teachings about it. In fact, I gave quite a few myself. But I always thought that was just a way of speaking, a kindly lie, some Christian's pious pat on the back to cheer me on. And there's the difference between the real believers and the nominal Christians that in our churches across the land. No one can measure like a believer the depth and the intensity of God's love, but at the same time, no one can measure like a believer the effectiveness of our gloom, pessimism, low self-esteem, self-hatred, and despair that block God's way to us. Do you see why it is so important to lay hold of this basic truth of our faith? Because you're only gonna be as big as your own concept of God. Remember the famous line of the French philosopher Blaise Pascal? God made man in his own image, and man returned the compliment. We often make God in our own image, and he won't have to be as fussy, rude, narrow-minded, legalistic, judgmental, unforgiving, unloving as we are. In the past couple of three years, I have preached the gospel to the financial community in Wall Street, New York City, the airmen and woman of the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, a 1,000 physicians in Nairobi. I've been in churches in Bangor, Maine, Miami, Chicago, St. Louis, Seattle, San Diego, and honest, the God of so many Christians I meet is a God who is too small for me because he is not the God of the Word. He is not the God revealed by it in Jesus Christ who this moment comes right to your seat and says, I have a word for you. I know your whole life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of sin, shame, dishonesty, and degraded love that has darkened your past. Right now, I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life, your inconsistent discipleship, and my word is this, I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are and not as you should be, because you're never gonna be as you should be.
2: What a powerful thought that it doesn't matter who we are or where we came from, that our God loves us all the same, no matter what we do. Thank Melinda for that remi- reminder of that today. And as we're going to move into a time of communion, you know, since we started meeting weekly as a church, we haven't missed a month yet that the last Sunday of the month, um, we, uh, we experience communion together a- as a body. So we're going to move into that right now. And, you know, Paul's reminds us in 1 Corinthians that as we move into this time and remember what, what Christ did for us on the cross, that we need to examine our hearts and make sure that we're properly prepared for that time. So I'm going to ask you now as we move into this prayer time that you do that. Um, at Fondren, Uh, If you've never experienced communion with us before, let me give you a couple of words of instructions. There are going to be six stations, three in the front, three in the back. This is the first time we'll do it in this room. So uh, we might have to kind of figure that out. But there will be a couple. One one of the couple will have um, the wine. The other will have the bread. You will go to the bread first. You will take a piece. They will look at you and say, Christ's body broken for you. And you'll look back at them and say, Amen, if you believe that. And then you'll take that piece of bread and you'll go to the cup and you'll dip it into the cup and they'll say, this is Christ's blood shed for you. And you will look at them and you'll say amen if you believe that. And then you'll take communion. So we pray that uh, as we go into this time that you'll examine your hearts and be prepared. Pray with me. God, we are so thankful that today we were reminded about how much you love us. And God, we want to take this time right now as we prepare our hearts for communion. That we'll examine our hearts, confess our sin, and understand that because of your sacrifice, we can be complete through our relationship with Christ. we are that we can experience this love corporately together in this place this morning I just ask that we experience your presence like never before you're not